Good morning, friends. If you take up your Bibles with me and turn to Mark, we'll be reading Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. It'd be great to keep your Bible open. We'll put some of the key verses on the screen as we go. But let me pray. Uh, as we get into our new series in the book of Mark. Dear Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Help me speak to it faithfully now that we might grow in our knowledge and love for you. Amen. In a moment, uh, I'm going to put up uh, four pictures, uh, one after the other. Uh, I want you to tell me who these people are And don't answer quite yet, but what do they have in common? So if you know who this person is, just shout it out, okay? Uh, Not too enthusiastically, but you know. Um, All right, let's go with the first one. Well done, Muhammad Ali. Just just warming you up. All right, Uh, next. Oh, Jordan. Next. This one could be a little harder. Next. Oh, Simone Biles, I think is the way you pronounce the surname. Now, what do these four people have in common? They are athletes. Best ever. Yeah, so in sport, people like to talk about the GOAT. So sometimes it's a title thrust upon them. Sometimes it's self-proclaimed. 
and it stands for the greatest of all time. Uh, Muhammad Ali was certainly keen to declare himself the goat, uh, and Simone is known for having a goat embroidered on her uniform. But whoever is making the claim, they're very quick to back it up with some proof. You know, they want to tell you how many titles they've won and who they've defeated along the way. As we get into the book of Mark, it opens with the claim that Jesus is the greatest of all time. Uh, Most of the time when we hear that statement, it's self-serving or self-grandizing. But when it comes to Jesus, this is about recognising rightfully who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And what he's come to do is good news for us. But before we get into the claim, uh, it is worth taking a moment just to see who is making this claim. Uh, Who is Mark. Uh, God can inspire anyone to give an account of the life of Jesus, but for our sake, he gives us someone who appeals to our sense of credibility. Mark was also known as John Mark. Uh, The book of Mark never identifies Mark as the author, uh, unlike, say, uh, Paul's letters, but from the earliest church, it was accepted that Mark was the author. Uh, He was a very early disciple of Jesus. He lived in Jerusalem. And it's actually possible he met Jesus in Jerusalem in that week before Jesus was arrested and crucified. Um, But there's certainly no evidence to suggest that he travelled with Jesus in the years before. But he was close to those who had. So when Peter was imprisoned in Jerusalem, Christians gathered at the home of Mark's mother to pray And when Peter was miraculously freed, he came to the home to to then gather with the disciples. We know he was the cousin of another disciple by the name of Barnabas, and he had a big falling out with Paul. So Paul, in fact, the, the falling out was so large that Paul refused to take him on one of their missionary journeys. Uh, Thankfully, at some point, uh, they were reconciled. And so we can read in the book of uh, Colossians, uh, this is how Paul then describes things. And my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so that's a a pretty good ending for those two. And finally, we know from the book of 1 Peter that Mark was with Peter in Rome. And there's good evidence to suggest that the gospel was actually written in Rome. Uh, There's also a lot to suggest that Mark was the first of the four gospel accounts to be written. And certainly for Luke, that was one of his sources of information. But if you read the book of Luke, if you read the book of Matthew, you'll read whole sections which are almost word for word the same. And it wasn't so much about copying each other's account as confirming the validity of what was being said. So Mark is never presented as an eyewitness, but he was in an almost unique position to record what Peter and others had seen and heard and experienced. And when it comes to describing who Jesus is, 
Uh, Mark is very brief, but he doesn't hold back. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That is a take-your-breath-away kind of claim. And on so many levels, it was provocative. In the Roman world, uh, that sort of proclamation was the sort of thing you say about the Roman emperor. Uh, The emperor was a god. He was the one worthy of all praise and honour. And the Roman emperor was the one who brings peace to the empire. So making this sort of claim is the sort of claim that gets you killed. Uh, But it was also provocative from a Jewish perspective. Uh, The word we translate Messiah is the Hebrew translation of the word Christ in Greek. And it means the anointed one of God. So Israel have been waiting for literally hundreds of years for God to send his promised Messiah and his promised king. The one who will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and holding it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. And the one who is truly worthy of glory and honour and praise but also the one who we should respectfully fear. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your ways will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so the time has come and Mark has made this unequivocal declaration. Jesus is the greatest of all time, and he is the fulfilment of everything that God has promised. But if you're a skeptic back in the day looking for evidence, then Mark has plenty to offer. So starting with John the Baptist, and again, Mark turns to the Old Testament. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so those words are here fulfilled as John comes into the desert. John the Baptist appearing in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you're a Jewish person, uh, that is a big statement, opening statement, but it's also a very, very odd way to approach things because for Israel if there was an issue of repentance if we need to come before God and ask for forgiveness you go to Jerusalem you go to the temple you offer a lamb or another animal as a sacrifice and that sacrifice served as a substitute you know this animal dying in your place to pay the price for your sin but here they're coming into the wilderness and they're being washed in water Uh, To appropriate the movie Shrek, uh, this opening in Mark is like an onion. It has layers. And one of those layers is this theme of wilderness. So Israel's journey as a nation, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, starts in the wilderness as they are rescued from slavery in Egypt. Uh, The wilderness is the place where God judges Israel because they refuse to trust him and enter the land that he had promised. And so as a result, God leaves them wandering in the desert for 40 years. 
But this is also the place where God gives them the law and prepares them for life in the land, for a life where they will be God's people in God's place under God's rule. So God is establishing his kingdom, but what he establishes in the Old Testament is a very, very poor shadow of God's bigger plans for all of humanity. But here's John the Baptist calling people back into the wilderness to start again. And so as we continue in Mark, there will be a journey from the wilderness back to Jerusalem. And there's this promise that God will re-establish his kingdom. But this time, it's going to have a very different ending. Uh, This time, it won't be bound by geography and religion will be replaced with a genuine transformation of the heart. So John says this of the one who is coming. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. I think we have mixed feelings when it comes to talking about will and willpower. Uh, On one hand, uh, we like the idea of being in control of our own destiny. We're told we can be whoever we want to be, just as long as we put our mind to it. And we have the will and the perseverance to do it. At the same time, on the other hand, uh, we often justify our behaviour by appealing to our lack of control. This is my authentic self. I don't want to change, but even if I did want to change, I couldn't because my authentic self beats willpower every time. And so we should just accept and embrace who I am. God's word rejects both of those ideas. Our authentic self has been corrupted by sin. So our authentic self is not our best self. And at the same time, no amount of willpower is going to fix it. But what God offers here is a different way. One that deals with our sin, but also gives us the will to change. And that capacity to recognise God and to change is made possible by God's Spirit. So the Bible talks about God being one and at the same time three persons, the Father, the Son and the Spirit. It's an expression of individual role, individual personality, but also perfect unity. And the Spirit takes the truth of God's Word and he convinces us that it is true and then works in us and moulds us and remoulds us to be the people we were called to be. So we were created in God's image and we are being remoulded back into that image, uh, into the image of Christ. So John is saying, I am nothing compared to the one who will come after me. And that carries a lot of weight because the people respected John. People were coming from all over Galilee and from Jerusalem to hear John. So his word mattered. Uh, But Mark hasn't finished convincing the reader that Jesus really is the greatest of all time. The endorsement of John the Baptist is good. The endorsement of the Spirit and the Father is infinitely better. Uh, And we see that endorsement in his baptism, which does raise an interesting question. Why would Jesus choose to be baptised? If he's perfect, uh, why does he need a baptism of repentance? Uh, For what it's worth, in Matthew's account, uh, John agrees and and feels our dilemma because he's equally perplexed. And we aren't really given an explanation beyond simply 
He does it to fulfill all righteousness. But most likely, uh, John is baptized, or sorry, Jesus is baptized as an expression of his solidarity with John. Returning to the wilderness and being baptized is exactly what God wants to see happening for his people. And it's an expression of solidarity with Israel. He is with them in the desert and he is standing beside them in their sin. And it preempts a time when he will stand in their place and pay the price for that sin. And not only theirs, but also ours. But it's also the moment that the Father chooses to affirm Jesus as his king and son. So in the Old Testament, King David receives the Spirit as God's endorsement of his kingship. And so for a Jewish person reading this, the Spirit descending is really significant. Uh, But even more significant is the Father declaring, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. If you were there in that moment, uh, that is an endorsement. So Mark has opened his account with some big statements. Jesus is the promised Christ, the eternal son of God. He proves it from the scriptures. He's he's proclaimed in the Old Testament, endorsed by John the Baptist, endorsed by the Spirit, endorsed by the Father. So if you're a Jewish person reading this, this is a lot to process. You know, in sort of boxing language, you know, this is a whole series of jabs one after the other, and each is just sort of hitting harder and harder. But Mark still has time for one more. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. When Israel went in the wilderness, it was a time of judgment and preparing. And here we have Jesus symbolically being in the wilderness for 40 years. But unlike Israel, who were faithless, Jesus is faithful. And so as we read this introduction, this is good news. If this is true, this is everything that the people have been waiting for. But now that it's arrived, you'd better be ready. And being ready means two things. The kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. You know, we often think of repentance in terms of our behaviour and doing the wrong thing and being sorry. I think, to be honest, sometimes the thing we're most sorry about isn't the wrong thing, but the fact that we got caught and the impact that that's having on our happiness. But when Jesus says repent, it's more than just calling us to change our behaviour and living a more moral life. It's calling us to come back to God. In the words of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. So it's a statement about behaviour, but more importantly, it's a statement about our relationship with God and our allegiance and our recognition of God's rightful authority over us. Uh, to stay with the, the sporting theme of the day, if you go to soccer and you watch someone sort of kicking a soccer ball around you know, on the sideline, that doesn't make them part of the team. It doesn't matter how exceptionally good they are. Uh, if you're on the team, then you stand with the team. You play with the team. You wear the jersey of the team. Uh, you submit to the leadership 
of the team. Being a moral person does not make us right with God. Being a religious person does not make us right with God. In fact, the problem with being religious is we take something that is good and God-glorifying and we manage to twist it into something that's self-serving. And that's what sin does. Sin, if nothing, is not creative. And so what we end up with, with being religious, is a false sense of security. Because we think we're standing in the right spot, we've got the right words to say, but really we're standing on thin ice. In the words of Isaiah, these people come near me to with, with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, coming to church is great. It's great that you're here today. Getting involved in Connect Group for our young people, getting involved in youth group. They're all wonderful things. Uh, but they're not a substitute for a genuine commitment to Christ and submitting to his words. And if we think they are, then we are dangerously misguided. Uh, that's why in our purpose statement we start with loving Jesus. Because if we don't start there then all the rest is meaningless. So repentance starts with turning back to God and submitting to God's authority. And when that happens, repenting of our sin, our sinful behaviour becomes less about regretting how my behaviour impacts me and more about how my behaviour dishonours God and who God has called me to be, and how my behaviour impacts others. And then we can start thinking about how my behaviour impacts me. You know, God first, others second, me third. So the repenting is turning back to God, and the good news is that when we do, that God is ready to forgive. And that's been the consistent promise through the Old Testament. That promise still stands with the Messiah coming. And in fact, not only does the promise stand that it's through the Messiah, it's through what Jesus will do, that forgiveness and acceptance and reconciliation is possible. Our sin needs to be dealt with, and it will be at the cross. Our hard hearts need to be moved. Our eyes need to not just see but perceive and we need to go from hearing to understanding and we can because the Christ has come and he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's the good news and as Jesus prepares to proclaim that message he starts with just a handful of disciples. So he goes down to the Sea of Galilee And he sees some blokes fishing. He's actually met them before. We know that from the book of John. And he says to them, come follow me, Jesus says, and I will send you out to fish for people. The older versions used to say fishers of men. We seem to have a better cadence, but we want to be all inclusive. So that's still good. But in the Old Testament, the language of fishing is often associated with judgment. But here... It's more the language of gathering. Jesus is going to prepare and equip these disciples to be salt and light and his ambassadors in the world, to gather together everyone he's called. You know, it's tempting as you read something like this to always feel that fishing is someone else's responsibility. You know, fishing is what God wants the disciples to do, not me. 
or we're not quite sure what to say or how to say it or how people will react when we do say it. And so we figure just the safer thing to do is to say nothing. And simply, you know, me standing up here or someone else standing up here and saying we should is never really going to be enough, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, if we're not deeply convinced, then our fears overcome our conviction. And so the question for us today as we think about being fishers is are we deeply convinced that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he really is the Son of God? And are we convinced that people really do need to repent and believe the good news? Because it is only good news if we're willing to accept it. In the last term, we did our series on Let's Talk. and We talked a lot about conviction and courage and confidence. I hope that was helpful uh, as you think about how do you speak that good news of Jesus in the world around you. But let me finish with three very brief encouragements. And some of these came out in our time together uh, last term. But the first one is, let's pray that God might help us grow in our belief. In the words of one man that Jesus encounters a little bit later in the book of Mark, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Number two, uh, pray each day that you might have the opportunity to talk to someone, have a a gospel-significant conversation, and that in that moment that you might have the words to say. And then number three, to go with a fishing metaphor, take a risk and put some bait in the water. Say something about being a Christian. You know, last term, uh, Pete was encouraging us, just tell people you went to church on the weekend. But just say something. And if people choose to take a bite and they want a conversation, then great, uh, go from there. But we all have opportunities I pray that we might see it and have the courage to take it. Let me close and pray. Dear Lord, as we've reflected on your word today, I pray that we might recognise the glory of your son, repent of our sin and believe the good news. And I pray that that conviction will overflow into our love for others. Help us to have the courage of our convictions and be ready to make the most of every opportunity to proclaim your good news. Amen.